0: This is Bach to Bach, the podcast opening up the world of classical music, one beer at a time.
1: Happy Thanksgiving week America. Now let's talk about England.
0: So, our final episode of November, and it's Thanksgiving week here in the States.
1: And this is the final episode of our month of Britain, Benjamin Britain.
0: Um, and, of course, what better way to lighten your spirits and to be positive about this time of year where it's all about the holidays coming together.
1: Than just kick it off on a war requiem.
0: <laughs> so, not only about war, a requiem, which is about death. So, yeah, Yeah, so... <laughs>
1: Just prepare to have your spirits lifted, but to be honest, I mean, let's, let's vote. This is a monumental work and it is, it is actually really exciting to be ending on it, especially with the history behind it and, um, and how personally Britain experienced World War II, which, which was the impetus for this.
0: And just kind of give you some background. Um, so we, last week's episode was about the, the national anthem of, of England, which if America's the same, uh, my country tis of thee, also known as America, um, and that that was his arrangement of that was written in the same year as the War Requiem when it was actually premiered, which was 1962.
1: Um, and we, sh- we should just point out that the, the the tune, the melody to God Save the Queen is the same as the uh, my country. Music. Yeah, not the as
0: same man. lyrics, but the same melody tune. Um, and that, would, by that an unknown, would have
1: made us pretty crappy rebels. If we had just kept the we're, same words, we're,
0: we're taking your song. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that's what America does best. <laughs> anyway, so anyway, so the War Requiem was actually composed in ni- mainly 1961 and then completed in 1962, which is very odd because these are literally polar opposite feeling pieces. Um, from the national anthem of England arrangement to this, um, and but this was uh, performed for the consecration of the new Coventry Cathedral, which was actually a 14th century cathedral that was destroyed during World War II. Um, so just think about all that history, and then of this one incredible structure that and just completely just bombed and destroyed uh, in seconds. So it's yeah, it was a uh, just to, for anyone
1: who. If if you've read the history of England, or even if you haven't, they they are. If you go look at a map, they're incredibly close to uh, to France and obviously Germany. And the fact that France was occupied by Germany, and if anyone knows any history of the Blitz, it was a it was an amazingly dark time because you were always in danger of of enormous uh, bombs raining down on your head. Um, just the complete unpredictability of having to run to an air raid shelter um, when you started seeing V two rocket attacks come in. It was there was an incredible amount of of destruction rained down upon Britain. In fact, if you look look at cities like uh, Portsmouth, England, from an aerial view, um, if you ever go and visit there, every now and then in this row of houses, you'll see uh, one. two houses look completely different, look much more modern than a lot of the brick structures around it. Um, But if you go to an aerial view and suddenly start to map where these brick houses were, they are all in a, uh, a straight line across the city. And if you draw that line back, it goes to the air bases on the continent. And this is where these planes would take off from. They would take a straight run over the city, drop a load of bombs, demolish a straight line through downtown, and then turn around. So um, Still very, very fresh as a memory for people that are still living today in, in England.
0: And what's really interesting about the way he composed this was he actually uh, took uh, a traditional Latin text. So a, let's back up a little bit. A requiem is a Latin based mass for when someone dies. Um, that is a very traditional thing. Mozart did it. His Requiem is one of the greatest pieces of classical music that's been written to date. Even though we're not big Mozart fans, it's absolutely incredible. Um, they are just uh, the Brahms Requiem. There's so many composers who have written these massive works. They are they are nothing light. They're nothing simple. They are always dense in in both musical and and text that the text portion is what really brings it home uh, because it's oh, always performed either with a chorus soloist things like that um, so with the war record however he mixed it up with a mix of latin text throughout um, and then kind of balancing it out were these uh, extra liturgical poems by uh, Wilfred Owen. Um, and so that were written during World War I. And he kind of used those as a reflection and applied it to what happened in World War II.
1: Nice use of the word liturgical, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, that was good.
0: Knowledge. <laughs> um, Stay in school, kids. For most of the time, yeah. So, um, so it's really just the text alone uh, for these these movements are incredible, I and mean, we're not going to play the whole thing because it is an eighty five minute work. It is humongous. Um, but what I thought I would do is I would take you through my favorites from each part of of this um, of this work. So just to kind of give you an idea, the whole work of the War Requiem by Benjamin Britten was scored for soprano, tenor, and baritone soloists, a full choir. A boys' choir, organ, and then two separate orchestras: a full orchestra on most movements, but then a chamber orchestra on the more uh, intimate movements that are feature a soloist only. And that excuse me, and I had the hiccups, and then also just like and really just kind of had a more um, pensive feel to it, so it's not as um, bombastic.
1: Wait, so I, I got asked the question. When performing this, is this an idea? Like, the, do the choirs rotate on and off? Soloists? No, on it's and off it's
0: note it's nonstop straight through. So, so, so like, so basically people the, will nope, be it's, featured. It's just featured. So basically, everyone's on stage, right? And it the takes people, their turns. St- okay, yep. Gotcha, so if it's gotcha. a chamber orchestra. Only those play, members play orchestra, obviously. Or the chorus, obviously, boys' chorus, is on one part of the stage together, and it has all these different elements.
1: So, I mean, like an honest, a roller coaster of of sound. It's no
0: joke. It's nuts. Like, and that's the thing. Like, so I I listened through. I got through today about half of it. Like, I listened through about half the work, so like forty five minutes worth, or so. And it <laughs> is just nuts how different this is from the rest of his music. It's just a complete departure. Um, like, you know, we talked about uh, two episodes where like, it sounded like it was Aaron Copeland and a simple symphony was such an almost like playfulness. And this and is uplifting. The, and yeah, and yeah. this is like the polar. Ob. This is just straight up uh, tension, dissonance, uh, uh, darkness. It's, there's a whole different feel to it. Um, so I'm going to play you straight through back to back with little, you know, breaks in between of, of, each one movement of each of these sections. So we'll play you a movement, a uh, section from the Requiem Aeternum. Uh, and again, these are all Latin terms. Uh, there is a section from the Dies Irae, which is called Confutatis Maledictis. Then we'll be going to the Offertorium, which will be titled Domine Jesu Christe, which is pretty translatable, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we'll be going to the Agnus Dei, which actually is titled "One Ever hangs Where Shelled Roads Part." Um, which And actually what you know is on all the movements, if you listen to the entire work throughout, all of the ones that are titled in English, those are the first lyric of those, those movements. Oh no way, yeah. And then, uh, and then there is the oh sorry, I skipped the sanctus, uh, that's also titled "After the Blast of Lightning from the East." and then finishing off, which is the, the closing of this whole work is the Libera May, which is the Requisicassade Pace. My Latin on that one was not so good. <laughs> um, but it's it's uh, unbelievable. Like Literally, if you have 85 minutes to sit and listen to it, uh, I'd love to hear your feedback because I just, what we've heard from Benjamin Britten this month, this is the polar opposite, and it's the same man in the same year as what we heard on the episode last week. Right, right,
1: right. But we don't have 85 minutes right now.
0: No, we got like six. Okay. Enjoy.
2: Talking to us is Yeah.
1: While that was playing, I feel like we were just both sitting there going, "Yeah, just, it's just, just in awe. I just don't
0: get it." Like it's it's in a, in a good way. I just don't. I'm really curious. The the parallels in his brain, like like what what was going through, his mind the write so radically. Um, and if you know more information about this than we do, we would love to hear from you guys. But like, it's just, it's incredible. I feel
1: like if you wanted to draw a parallel to a modern-day artist, just look at any band that just when you think that you know what their next album is going to be, mm-hmm. this comes out. The The idea that a complete chameleon as far as it's so talented. And I'll, I'll be the first one to raise my hand and say, I didn't even realize how talented Britain was before we did this month.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's just so amazing to see what, you know, within the span of, of 45 45 40 50 years of really composing actually no no of birth like living like yeah. he just he put this incredible just repertoire work and we didn't even dive into um his work with Shostakovich his work with like he did tons of he wrote for Rostropovich who is my really? my cellist yeah. cello idol you know he wrote um his cello uh, symphony uh for Rostropovich um because he premiered these pieces that were strictly only allowed to be performed in Russia by Shostakovich, and brought them finally for the first time out of Russia to be performed, and it was just these incredible relationships that this man had that just blow my mind to how underrated he is in the classical realm.
1: Do, who just and this is my own lack of knowledge, who was he not competing against? But Gilbert Gottfried. T- Gilbert Gottfried was taking the the the. the attention from Jaffa! Anyway, go on. So, <laughs> but who, like, who was who was stealing his thunder at that time? Like, why? What what was it that he wasn't? Oh, actually, I take it back. I mean, it's the '60s, so we're in all honesty, we're starting to get into rock and roll at this point.
0: Well, yes, but also you got to look at... in the classical realm, though. You you are dealing with the strength of Rayfon Williams. You're looking at Edward Elgar. You you have these, and I'm a huge fan of Elgar, but he. But he was very much known and very much appreciated. But it's not at the time; it's more now. We list, we know his works, and we know we know Simple Symphony a lot. We know God Save the Queen, but his repertoire is just so deep, and we don't go into it enough. Right? I think that's what I always would love to see more of: if more just in depth works of, just like deep dives into everything Benjamin Britten had to offer as a composer, because he really kind of was was a trailblazer for the mid 1900s
1: maybe we'll have to do it every november we'll just come back and do a bit more britain every year okay yeah, it sounds good so beer so yeah no so i mean the beer i'm sipping on sadly is not the beer we want to talk about today although this one's very good yes but because it wouldn't be a bach to bach without some sort of beer
0: uh, What's it like drinking oh. beer? I've forgotten. Aww. I've forgotten being gluten free. You don't though.
1: You get omission and all those really cool breweries. I get
0: two. I get two types of beer. Ah, that's a load <laughs> of horse. You know. <laughs> that's come on. Yeah, I mean, you get
1: you you got, got IXNE, which we we reviewed on episode four with uh, Griffin Cherry.
0: He reviewed. We didn't have it.
1: No, we got we had Peaks uh, some fresh cut. Gosh. Anyway, a con- memory. Let's continue. So uh, we. we when you go looking for a beer that personifies war um probably for the best there's not a lot of choice so we're happy about that um but we did come across we it 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 is good. we we actually okay so we do have a, a a brewery here in Maine up in Freeport um called Stars and Stripes Brewing which is actually it was built uh, it was founded built and run by by veterans I don't know why I just said veterans so weird. I'm going to say that again.
0: Veterinarians, it's <laughs>
1: right.
0: it's, it's beer for dogs. <laughs> and let me so tell you, it goes down rough. <laughs> hey,
1: hey. I'm That's here all week. That. Um, say that as an as a okay. Um
0: Here in in this Maine, is bark to bark. <laughs> <laughs> this is, sorry, I'm going to keep going down <laughs> this rabbit hole.
1: Yeah, woof woof, bark bark. <laughs> don't you hate it when you don't speak the language?
0: Um, Jesus, no <laughs> one would get that. We're gonna do a whole sub podcast of just <laughs> the, uh, the deep sessions, animal versions of everything we talk about about human beings. Back to back B side. Oh, we should do something B side,
1: some kind of. Anyway, um, this is going great.
0: The <laughs> I don't. We, we know oh no, work.
1: we do we do. Um, we're lucky enough to have a uh brewery here just up the road in Freeport Maine called Stars and Stripes Brewing which is actually it was founded uh built and run by um veterans here uh in Maine and and um do some great brews uh but this particular day we looked at the uh, we looked across the sea to some beers over uh, across the way and um although there there are beers like Bombardier and, and other great brews in England um, which we have had in the past, but there was one that kind of caught our eye that that we are now going to actively search for. Um, but it's called the D-Day Golden Ale, and it's actually brewed in Normandy. Uh, it's uh, it's around the corner from Calais. Uh, it's on the coast between Calais and Cherbourg. And the idea um, it was it was actually uh, awarded the the Medaille d'Or à Paris do me a
0: that was the most pretentious thing
2: you've <laughs> ever done, <laughs>
0: <laughs> like you didn't even like let it be slightly. I know you lived in France. I know you speak fluent French, like you didn't even let it be slightly like I'm living in Maine. I'm gonna like try speaking French.'
1: The Med-I-Nor, Paris two thousand fourteen just
0: doesn't sound as good. It just doesn't no, sound it as good sounded so much better. <laughs> no, keep going, oh, no. I Welcome to the country pretentious Dan. <laughs> no, go on, tell us about this French <laughs> beer.
1: So when we were looking at beers for this episode, we ended up stumbling across the um the D Day ale, which is uh brewed by a guy named Christophe Noyon, um who is who's brewing just outside of Calais. He was, he's actually the, this brewery is called uh, the translation is um uh the Brasserie of the of of the two capes, so the deux capes. Um, and the idea is that it's just across the way, so it's just west of Dover, uh, of Calais, looking across the English Channel over at Dover, which is the closest point between the two, uh, between the two countries. So a little bit uh, east of the Normandy beaches uh, of Omaha and and um, um, I forget the other names, Nebraska. I was literally about to say that too. So I nailed d- it. So the brew, uh, the beer we looked at today was called the D-Day Ale. It's actually brewed in France, in a uh, just just west of Calais, um, at a place called the translation is the 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 uh, Brasserie of the of the Two Capes, Les Deux Capes. Um, so it's uh, just to the to the west of Calais. If you look across the the idea of the Two Capes is that uh, you're looking across the English Channel at at Dover from Calais. It's the closest point between England and France. Um, and this was brewed by uh a guy named Christophe Noyon and his and his wife Alexia. Uh so when they they first married they lived in uh Ere-Manche, which is uh which overlooks Gold Beach. And if you know um the the D-Day history there uh and and how the beaches were were divided up uh by code name, it is a that entire stretch is, is a magnificent spot and even today really Beautifully somber, whether whether it's middle of summer or in the middle of winter. I went there first in November, um, I think four years back now, uh, and even now with everything cleared away, uh, the 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 gravity of what happened there just just weighs down in a not in a negative way, but in a very reflective way. And uh, to be able to walk through these fields out in the back of Normandy, and the, they they do a beautiful job of of putting up small. Uh, Displays of just telling you that at the you know this time seventy years ago there was uh you know there was an airfield where you're standing where there's now a field of corn in a farmhouse something like that and mm. and you you get an idea of of what actually went on so these two people Christoph just, just, and Alexia. Just the,
0: just the gravity of it of it all like oh, really yeah
1: one of the and in, in, if anyone hasn't ever read up on D-Day or seen movies like Saving Private Ryan or or a Band of Brothers it is uh it is, um, it's a, a bit of history that we we should all know more about, uh, no matter how young or old you are, it is something that we should all know more about. Um, uh, but these these two people, uh, Christophe and Alexia, they they um got married and and were settling in Aromanches, and uh, uh, over something called Mulberry Harbor, which is nicknamed Port Winston. This is one of these for anyone who's out there who's an engineer and if you haven't read about this look this up because this is fascinating like to create a an, a massive harbor where where tens of thousands of people and and heavy machinery and construction equipment was all unloaded to basically create a port out of nothing um, within basically really a f- less than a few weeks uh, is is a yeah. f- phenomenal uh testament to uh, just what what humans can do in the sense of um building and construction and engineering and whatnot so um but anyway these guys uh in in memory of their time there and and, and what they learned about um the the sacrifices made by the liberating troops that that landed and, and these are troops from uh not only the united states but england and canada and australia and all over the place you know people from all around the world came to land here um this beer they dedicate as a tribute to keep their memory alive. So, it's a um, it's a uh, a golden ale It has actually beat out 600 other beers uh, at Paris's uh, International Agricultural Exhibition in 2014 to win the 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 gold medal or the medaille d'or. Um, and it is so it's 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 really pure, really simple. It's just a it's a pure malt of of spring barley. You've got aromatic hops. And it just weighs in at just six point five percent ABV, so it's it's something. If you we ever do run across this, and now I think we're going to be actively looking for this thing if we can ever get it brought over this way. Um, just when it comes to blonde beers, uh, something I know we want to try. This goes back a few episodes to the idea of the um, the sessionable lagers and pilsners. Mm, and all these, yeah, these, yeah. these these beers that can like we we don't we haven't really dived into to blondes much, but um, this is one of those. You're about, to, oh, you want to make a joke so, so badly. badly, so badly. Ah, oh, good on you for holding off. Uh, but again, this is, my <laughs> name named Christophe Noyon, it's brewed on <laughs> Francis. it's the Cotopal, uh, which looks right across. I'm sorry, it's just too good. What What do you got? What do just you got?
0: Just go, keep going. <laughs> so,
1: so it's, uh, it's, yeah, overlooking across the way at uh, the White Cliffs of Dover and it's, it's, um, it's available actually at the landing beaches. You can get this beer at the landing beaches if you're over there and key points on the, the, what's called the remembrance trail. So between, yeah. uh, Cherbourg and, 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 Dunkirk. So, um, we're going to, going to be on the hunt for this. now that we found it, we want to, we want to check yeah. it out because, um, it is, it is a stunning place to be. Uh, it's beautiful, but in a very heavy, so, a solemn s- sense. Yeah. In a yeah. solemn sense. So. Uh, and again, it, we would encourage you to, to go back and listen to, if you can, all of
0: Britain's War Requiem on this one. But it's also like, you know, one thing with this beer is like a lot of our beers have the breweries have history themselves, like as far as, you know, how they were established, the story behind the brewery. But instead, it's the opposite. It's where the brewery was founded and they put the history on on the beer itself um, and really try to not lose sight of such a, a monumental moment in, in history for for france especially so
1: we've actually found and there was when we were looking there was a there's a few uh breweries that have done commemorative beers as well around d-day there was one down in florida um that had done a pairing with a with a, a brewery in france for a again like a, a d-day landing ale um As we just came around this year, this summer, to the 75th anniversary of D-Day, if if people were following the news, it was it was there were massive massive remembrances to uh, to the landing. And again, uh, Britain's Britain's and Kevin, you reminded me of this. uh, Britain's um, war record wasn't written specifically about D-Day, but as that was the pivotal turning
0: point uh, for World War II, we thought this was a good point to to bring into the mix. So just. It's it's really nice to kind of reflect on this month of looking at the work of of this English composer of of also but also the involvement the English had. I mean, obviously on the brewing culture in the first place. Like, yeah. forget war aside, um, on Western music, um, more relevant to this episode on, on the impact of World War Two, um, and it's really just like between all these elements, like how much they have given all the listeners of this podcast and us around us as a country and as, as a, as a society, like they've just provided us with so much um, to, to reflect on. And it, it, when you do look at beer culture,
1: look at it with the, the idea that you know, in most of Europe, wine was the alcoholic drink of choice. And as you got up to you know, the Romans, the Romans inhabited most of England up to Hadrian's wall. Um, and if you don't, know about that have a have a look at it like there was a you know the, the the roman equivalent of the great wall of china running across england for a while as romans occupied um uh, the lower half of the of the island um and wine was the drink of choice except for in england where it was too cold uh, to to have mm. wine year round so a beer became you know beer rose up as as the alcoholic drink of choice so it is a, a huge huge tip of the cap to England and,
0: and their, you know, their pedigree with the beer brewing culture. And so just thanks for like exploring this month with us. Like we've, we've never done this before. I, mean, I want to do this more often. I think this is a fun deep dive to really kind of take one region of the world and explore all the from one composer and then all the beer and culture that comes around that beer or beer styles from the country. I think it's really a nice, um, nice way to explore everything that can happen. Mm. Uh, on both sides of this podcast But Looking ahead Ooh, What do we got whew. coming up Welcome to winter everybody Oh, wait. Is it December It's December That's so sad Okay anyway I love, I love this now So we yeah. have music from WC coming up Along with some, some gluten free cider uh, Which is pretty great You're excited um, about that We have a few guests That I think will be things more exciting We'll have Schubert's Great Symphony uh we'll be featuring the Berg Violin Concerto, uh pairing with some Goodfire brewing. Yes. Um and then going into right into Christmas, a Mozart <laughs> Requiem, because why not? Okay, but we just said we,
1: we're both not fans of Mozart, but here's the chance we're gonna get our we're gonna change our own minds.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna take that back. Okay. Or we could say like we could move that later into Handel's Messiah.
1: Have we not done Handel's
0: like we have we, we have not oh my god really so um anyway it we have a variety of music coming your way along with a variety of beers and finally some guests this season but um thank you for exploring this month with us and,
1: and thank you for for coming back with us we are we are back and we're here to stay
0: for at least 18 more months because <laughs> well, that's how long we took off <laughs>
1: But uh, until the next time, this has been another episode of Bach to Bok. Cheers. 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 Be sure to follow Bok to Bach on Spotify to get notified of the latest
0: episodes. And keep the conversation going on Instagram with us. And follow us on all social media platforms at Bok to Bok. Bach, that's B-A-C-H-T-O-B-O-C-K. Cheers and keep listening.